See it, hear it, think it. Talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We are here with you for the next three hours. We're going to bring you uh, some joy. We're going to bring you some drama. We're going to bring you some shows and some stories that you will barely believe. But they will all be true uh, because this is the home of the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Let me tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, we have got breaking news this morning. Uh, We've got a removal uh, of people to Pakistan uh, in the case of a murder uh, or at least a killing uh, of a young child. Police have been seeking the family of that young child. We'll bring you details on it because it's breaking even as we speak. We'll bring you as much on it as we can. Uh, But the family concerned who did flee to Pakistan are saying basically we will cooperate with the police. And that is the first time that they have said such a thing. So, in my view, uh, that is a massive development in this case. We'll bring you more on that as soon as we have it. Coming up first, though, we're going to be talking to William Pluston, the leader of the Social Democratic Party, because it's time uh, to get the work shy back to work. Now, you might say, well, you would say that, wouldn't you? Because you're sitting there high on the hog. Uh, you get nicely paid for sitting on your backside, spouting complete and utter nonsense. Well, first of all, uh, they're all nodding in the, behind the gallery there. I don't know why. Uh, I am not paid to spout nonsense. What I am paid to do is to get at the truth. What's going on uh, in the Department for Work and Pensions? Because we've got two versions of a story this morning. In the Times, we're being told that people who are unable to go to work because they suffer from anxiety are going to be told to get work at home. They're going to find work for them uh, because there must be something you can do. If you're too frightened to leave the house, that doesn't mean you can't work. It doesn't mean that you cannot actually find something for which you can be paid a reasonable amount of money to do. On the other hand, in The Telegraph, they've got a story saying that all of these reforms, all of these changes to the welfare bill and all of these changes to welfare in general cannot come in until 2025. That is two years from now, after a general election, after which time the Labour Party might get in and reverse everything anyway. So it's going to be a complete and utter shambolic mess as you might expect from the current Conservative Party. 0344 499 1000. We want your stories, of course, as well. It's back to school day for an awful lot of parents and an awful lot of children. Are your kids going to school? Have they been told not to go because of the concrete crisis? What's it going to be like? Uh, in your school, in your neighbourhood and what's it going to be like out there on the roads where traffic is hitting an all-time high because trains, ladies and gentlemen, are just not reliable anymore. We'll be talking more about the channel migrant problem. We'll be talking about the energy bill, which wasn't voted on last night as it was expected to be in the House of Commons. We've got the first Prime Minister's questions of the new season as well. So much to do, so much to talk about. We want your views as well because this is the one place where we amplify what you think, what you say, we tell the powers that be. 0344 499 1000, the number to get yourselves on uh, to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Let us get it on. Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We're with you all the way through until one o'clock. And it's going to be a hot day today. I mean, a lot of people predicting that it's going to be hotter than 32 degrees, which it was the other day. Um, it's very pleasant out there. I don't know uh, if you're enjoying the sunshine. I don't know if you're having to work, if you're able to get into an air-conditioned uh, office or if you're in an air-conditioned vehicle. Uh, that would probably be the best thing. Or if you're sitting by a swimming pool, even better, uh, wherever you are in the world. But hotter than hell is what it says uh, in the sun today, 32 degrees. And, of course, hell uh, is not Hades uh, down in that terrible place where you might go uh, if you've not been very good during your life. No, hell is a town in Michigan in the United States of America where yesterday it was only 28. So clever boys at the sun uh, have made that work. Just before we speak to William Clouse, a little development uh, in the Sarah Sharif story. This is a story that's been rumbling around uh, for a while. Um, Sarah's body was found at a property in Surrey in uh, 
August, August the 10th to be precise. Uh, the day before that, uh, the Sarah's father um, and brother uh, disappeared off to Pakistan. And for the first time, uh, the family have actually spoken uh, because Sarah's father and stepmother have now said that they are willing to cooperate with the British police in their investigation in their first public statement since fleeing the country. So they're sitting in Pakistan. They're saying that they would like to fight their case in court, presuming uh, that they're now saying that they have nothing to do uh, with the murder and saying that they have now gone into hiding as everybody is scared for their safety. So um, it's a terrible story. It's a family tragedy. We'll be bringing you updates on all of that uh, as soon as we can bring it to you. We'll also be hopeful to bring you a video uh, of what is being said by the stepmother uh, and the father who were sitting apparently side by side in it. But let's go, uh, first of all, before we do anything else, to William Clouston, leader of the Social Democratic Party. William, a very, very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. So um, here we are. Uh, we've launched ourselves at the new kind of parliamentary session. First Prime Minister's questions uh, since the summer break. Um, I can't mm -hmm. say it's going to be very good news for Rishi Sunak. He doesn't have much uh, to bat with. If he was sending him out to the crease, it would be almost as though he was uh, a sort of schoolboy uh, player uh, facing Shane Warne. Yes, but he's the author of his own difficulties. Yeah. And he? also, I, mean, I, I, I fully actually accept that like, you would never compare Shane Warne and Sir Keir Starmer, would you? <laughs> that would be un unfair, wouldn't it? Yes, yes. That's, that's, but you know, uh, what, but you know a, what I mean. A, a total misalignment of yes. ability, yes. Um, yeah, no, he's, he's got real problems. Um, um, Sunak, he's made these five pledges. He's unlikely to achieve any of them, actually. He may be lucky on inflation. We'll just have to wait and see. But the others were very foolish. When he announced the pledge on stopping the uh, illegal migration in small boats across the channel, I was pleased, but I thought, well, what, is he not telling us something? Because there is a basic way of stopping it and he's not doing it. He's got to stop incentivizing and rewarding people with the right to permanently stay in the UK if they get here. It's quite simple. You shouldn't rely on France or Rwanda or any other place. The British authorities should do it and you have to get out of the post-war protocols to do it but he's in a mess I mean I, I'm, I'm hearing speaking to Tories and other people people are now so I spoke to a senior Tory last night actually who said that it's it they're thinking about having an early election because it's only going to get worse you know if they wait till October or November next year they'll get absolutely slammed I think they'll get beaten anyway yeah. but uh, you know people are talking honestly Mike about a, a May election now yeah, I mean, interesting, isn't it? Because I suppose there is, there was some hope, even just uh, in the early part of the summer, sort of back end of June, that the mm. um, the Labour Party might not be able to get a massive majority. That you know, even though Sir Keir Starmer was leading in all the polls by twenty, mm. sometimes thirty percent, he might just be able to get a narrow victory, which would mean he couldn't have. He would literally have a minority government, and he'd have to go, you know, bill by bill, or he'd have to find some kind of coalition partner, um, which yeah. the Tories, I suppose, would have considered to be a reasonable result. But I guess if they think it's a lot worse now, then maybe they mm. should do it sooner. Well, it's worse and it's going to get worse. That's the key point. This, on any of the major metrics, things don't appear to be looking rosy. Um, so it, it has the flow. And we're old enough to remember this has the feel of 97, doesn't it? You know, where you, you have a, a Tory administration goes right to the end and gets beaten. To be fair, obviously, Blair was a highly, I mean, I profoundly disagree with what Blair did to the country. Mm. But um, Blair was a very, very able politician and, and he got a massive majority. I mean, Starmer isn't in the same class as a politician and his major problem, Starmer's problem, is that 
he doesn't know what he believes and right. therefore he changes what he says uh, weekly almost so but you know even which, even which must which must case. reveal surely william that he doesn't actually have many convictions i know when he speaks he tries to make out that he does but he, if he changes his mind as much as he does then what is, what are we supposed to think that he believes in no i think that's the real problem i think that's the problem with starmer it's worse than people think i don't think he has any idea how to solve the country's problems uh, he takes a very cautious line and he ratted on all of the pledges he made when he became le Labour leader. You know, some of the pledges which I would agree with on railway nationalisation, utilities and so on and housing, he just basically ignores them now. So a lot of that agenda has gone out of the window. And, uh, you know, anyway, for the public, uh, they'll be pleased to know that the SDP plans to, you know, field well over 100 candidates. And so there will be a, a sensible yeah. uh, left economic uh, uh, programme to vote on. And do you have any li any sort of realistic likelihood of getting a seat or two? We're, we've got we've got this electoral uh, deal in South Yorkshire with uh, reform, which should yield certainly some results because because we we're fighting the South Yorkshire together, but in the separate seats, obviously. But um, no, I think we're going to be realistic. I don't. I, I you know if we if we get uh, you know hundred thousand plus votes across the country that's adequate progress for us we're a small party but growing it may it largely depends what happens in the campaign mike i mean for a small party like us a general election is a major opportunity to get our message across and to get to get better known mm. our membership usually doubles or trebles during uh, general elections so i'm very optimistic and you know we are offering the public something that isn't there now you know which is a sensible sort of patriotic um, left of centre economics, yeah. bit of trade. You know, we've got to reindustrialise. A lot of the problems we're going to talk about today on things like benefits are caused long term by deindustrialisation. Yeah, well, I mean, I've been talking to people all week about this kind of thing because we had uh, data that came from the Department of Work and Pensions earlier in the week about mm. particular cities. I don't know if you heard us talking about it in Manchester, in Blackpool, yeah. uh, in Glasgow, in Liverpool, mm. uh, in Middlesbrough, places where, you know, there are jobs available, but where mm. the out-of-work benefits um, sort of numbers are as much as a quarter of the working population, which is ridiculously high. It's horrific, yeah, and I'm very, very glad that this issue is finally getting onto into the, into the public realm. Mm. Uh, Michael Simmons and Fraser Nelson have done some good work at The Spectator highlighting yeah. it. We, we talk about it all the time because what we've been running in this country, I mean, you know, there, as you know, there are over 5 million people on out-of-work benefits in this country and the number and the cost is growing. Mm. You can't ignore this. And w I think what we've been running for probably 30, 40 years is actually quite a dangerous model, which has got worse. The model is rely focus on services in London, southeast, and then toss a biscuit to the rest of the country. Mm. But if you go to places like Humberside, as you say, Middlesbrough, the, this is a different country to the southeast. You, yeah. We've deindustrialized, and 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 as you say, Mike, if you look at the list of of major cities uh, where uh, adults claiming out of work benefits represent, you know, between twenty percent and up to twenty five percent of mm. the population. They're all places which where where we've deindustrialized and loss of the manufacturing. Mm. It's totally self defeating in the end. You you can't you can't just make wealth in the in the south mm. and and just pay benefits to the north. No. You've got to get the north working. Exactly right, and you can't yeah. just then go. Oh, I know what we'll do. Uh, we'll plant some kind of government department there because that will be fine. Um, mm. They've tried that uh, with the DVLA in Swansea. Uh, they've done mm. it with tax offices around the country. You know, I mean, it's a sort of it's a it's a it's a band aid, isn't it? It's a lustreplast to put over a gaping wound. All it does is um, sort of 
basically employ a load of people who might otherwise have moved to get a job as opposed to employing people who can't move to get a job. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, the, the, there are two basic methods of industrial policy of jobs, employment policy in this respect the governments have gone for. Uh, you know, one is work to the workers mm. and the other is workers to the work. You know, get on your bike was the Tebbit thing. Yeah. I think I'm not against the government doing some of this. I think, you know, Darlington probably will benefit from some of the tax office people being posted there and so on. So I'm not against it. But the big thing, honestly, the big thing we need to think about as a country is to make more here and buy British yeah. and think about the trade policy. Think about what you're buying. I and mean, I would urge the public to think about it. No government, Mike, has ever talked about this for years. We just don't. You go to a country like Australia, you'll see on the products, proudly made in Australia or Arnott's Biscuits, exporting for Australia. You know, this is the sort of spirit we need here in this country. And we won't get people back into work. And this tragic thing about it is obviously there are some shirkers, but if you look at the, the figures, most of this is deindustrialization. And when you, you know, um, loss of manufacturing manufactures only one thing. It, mm. it manufactures poverty, basically. Yeah, absolutely right. Stay with us if you would, Willie. We want to talk about climate change. We want to talk about the weather. Uh, we want to talk about universities uh, basically studying it. We shall see what that's about. Also, we will bring you a video of Sarah Sharif's fugitive father and stepmother speaking out today for the first ever time about what happened uh, to his daughter and what they plan to do about it. This is Talk TV. On the app, on your mobile, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. I mentioned at the top of the show we've got some breaking news for you today concerning the Sarah Sharif case. This is the young woman uh, who was found dead in her home in Surrey uh, back in August, on August the 10th. Uh, the day before that, uh, her father, uh, her brother, sorry, her, her father and his brother uh, and her stepmother appear to have fleed, uh, fled rather to Pakistan. Um, nobody's heard from them until today. Uh, and today, Sarah Sharif's fugitive father and stepmother spoke out for the first time. Here's what they said. Firstly, I would like to talk about Sarah. Sarah's death was an incident. Our family in Pakistan are severely affected by all that is going on. All the media have been given wrong, have been giving wrong statements and making up lies. Imran did not give a statement that Sarah fell down the stairs and broke her neck. This was spread through a Pakistani media outlet. I am very worried about Imran's safety. All of our family members have gone into hiding as everyone is scared for their safety. The kids are unable to attend school as they are afraid to leave the house. No one is leaving the house. The groceries have run out and there is no food for the kids as the adults are unable to leave their homes out of fear of safety. That is why we have gone into hiding. Lastly, we are willing to co cooperate with the UK authorities and fight our case in court. That is uh, Binash Batul, who is uh, the stepmother of Sarah, uh, who, as we say, was found dead um, in mysterious circumstances uh, in a home uh, in Surrey. Uh, we'll bring you more on that case as we get it, of course. But what she has said uh, is that the family are now living in fear of their lives in Pakistan, but are willing to con con uh, con can have converse with uh, the British authorities. We'll find out what the police reaction to that is and bring it to you as soon as we have it. 
William Clouston is back with us from the uh, SDP, the Social Democratic Party. Just to go back to the Tony Blair comparison to 1997, what I would say about mm. the difference now, William, though, uh, is that in 1997 they still had Scotland. Labour Party, which they now don't have, and in those mm. days it was easier for them to make more or less sweep. I think they had 48 seats in Scotland, most of which have now gone to the SNP. They might get some back, um, but can they really form a, a big size government, a big majority without Scot Scottish seats? Um, well, they will get some back, actually. Uh, I mean, it's very difficult to, to, to know. You really don't know until Election Day. We've had some surprises, haven't we? I mean, 2019, yeah. the magnitude of that was a surprise. So I suspect it's actually more febrile than people think. Um, I, I suspect that, you know, looking at it in the polls now, they'll probably get a majority. But the Tories' majority is very large. But I think I, I would say it's very thin. A lot of red wall voters voted for the Tories uh, just to get Brexit done. Uh, they were frustrated. The public, the, the country was frustrated. And it, they used Johnson as a tool uh, to do that. Um, but no, I, I think the, you know, if things stay the same, uh, I can't see this government doing any better at any of the major things. And I, I suspect we're heading for a, a Labour victory. Um, it, it's perfectly true, though, Mike. I mean, on the, on, the, on the figures, on the electoral dynamics, the Tories are ahead, quite a long way ahead in a lot of these seats, these, mm -hmm. you know, swing seats. But their, their majorities are thin uh, in in, in belief you know yes. people don't people are not really very keen on it um and it's interesting comparing it to 97 because actually major the major uh, government was actually despite the you know sleaze allegations and the rest of it was actually a reasonably competent government compared to the one that we've got now yeah well exactly i mean in this week's kind of uh, revelations as they have become worse on the concrete crisis um, really do, unfortunately, mm. sum up, don't they, the state of, mm. of the government, the state of the nation. That, mm. that not only do we have all these institutions that don't work, some of the schools are actually in danger of collapsing. Yeah, no, it's really alarming. I mean, it's utter incompetence. This is yet another example of short-termism. I mean, the use of this particular type of aerated concrete is short-termism anyway. Some types of concrete uh, actually get stronger through the years. Um, but this particular type had, when they installed it, uh, was known to only have a, a lifespan of 30 years or something like that. So this is not, it shouldn't be a surprise. The sad thing is that you need a, a you know, a, a sort of a major story, a news story, and, and everyone panics and then closes over 100 schools. Uh, but the tale of this goes all the way back, you know, probably 10, even 15 years where maintenance programs are not taken seriously. I've said before, in this, we, we have governments that tax and regulate, but don't do anything very well. They don't actually carry anything out very well. And you see this across the board. I mean, on housing, for instance, the government spends, you know, 27, 28 billion on housing benefit, just paying people to pay landlords and others, subsidizing them. Then he spends about eight or nine billion on building homes. Mm. It's mad. Yeah, it, it should really be is. Around. And that is the problem, isn't it? And so with every announcement that they now make, because with mm. every sound of, of, of the sort of the election bell ringing, uh, there's mm. another yet another announcement. Like I say, you mm. know, this, this reform of the Welfare Act that they're talking about, um, in the Telegraph they're saying, well, it probably wouldn't happen until 2025 anyway, which is long yeah. after the election has come and gone. Well, that's another example of a government not taking responsibility for something and just kicking the can down the road, giving, leaving it to another government. Again, with you know, about a year ago, this clip of Nick Clegg uh, in 2010 saying we won't bother building any nuclear power stations. It would take 10 years, and he's, his whole 
too many politicians, particularly in the establishment parties, the whole frame of reference is the new, the current news cycle in the next year, possibly. They just don't plan anything. And I, I blame it partly uh, on an ideological thing, which is that planning and thinking about the future just became not very popular. Mm. Uh, and a lot, of, a lot of Tories, particularly the ultra-free market ones, are just dead against planning. But no sensible society is run like that. All sensible industrial economies plan, and the, but they, they won't get into their heads. They need to think ahead and plan. And that's why the rock thing bubbles up. And, and the sad thing is for the public and everyone else, it costs more, you know, Mike, in the end, to, to wait until a crisis happens. It's much better to you know, uh, make, you know, mend the roof when the, the sun shines. Well, yeah, I mean, you hear that phrase all the time, don't you? And you hear it from politicians in particular. However, um, somebody pointed out, well, yeah, but when you talk about budgets and you talk about, you know, um, government spending, there's never mm. a day when the sun is actually shining because they're always in hock. They're always spending in too much money on things and getting hardly any results back in, uh, in return. Mm. And so mm. it's their stewardship of the economy, which I think is in question, isn't it? Yes, no, I think some uh, some very, very hard decisions need to be made in some areas. And I think, you know, lo from local government upwards, uh, government needs to concentrate on its core functions. You know, Birmingham City Council's in the news, uh, basically insolvent now, and it's got some major holes in its budget, you know, 760 billion or whatever for the uh, equal pay claims, which I, I support. I mean, they it's 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 not right to pay female staff less than males for equivalent grade jobs or not give them bonuses which is what it was but again they've known about this for years but while they're doing that mike birmingham city council still have a program of renaming streets equality avenue and things like that <laughs> so i still don't believe maybe they could rename one of them bankruptcy row solvency road yeah, yeah solvency street yeah, I don't know. I mean, but they so they. I want them to concentrate. There's on a creek they can rename as well. I'm just thought of that, but I can't say it in national <laughs> they, radio. <laughs> I can. I think we know what you mean. But no, but this is it. And so they're still in. I speak to people in local government. You know, I'm chair of community council myself. We work with Northumberland County Council a lot, and I, I'm in touch with it. And, and it, it's still this thing about them not really focusing. I you walk through. You could walk through a town, many city halls, mm. town halls throughout the country. And there'll be empty offices and you'll say to people, who's in that office? Oh, well, they don't live here. They, they actually work in, they live in London and work. And I'm thinking, yeah. hold on. And then the Taxpayers Alliance did a freedom of information request you, you'll have heard about. And it turns out there's about 800, you know, senior council staff working from abroad. So we allow people to claim large salaries working for local authorities while they're basically yeah. on the Algarve. Yeah. It is ridiculous. It's extraordinary. Absolutely unbelievable. But, William, unfortunately, we're out of time. Great to talk to you again. I'll see you soon. William Cleuston, leader of the Social Democratic Party, a man that talks a lot of sense. I mean, what a joke, says Victor, uh, Birmingham City Councillor. If they put up council tax and make people pay for their own failings with their cash, surely they make loads of money from their own clean air zone. Well, who knows what they're doing in Birmingham, but what they are doing uh, is pretending uh, that they're going to solve their problems by just charging the taxpayer. I mean, in no other world could you be a complete and utter failure at what you do and then get bailed out by the taxpayer. Ridiculous. Oh, yeah, unless you're a bank. We do that as well. What is going on? This is Talk TV. Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV.
Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We've got plenty to do. We've got loads of you to talk to. Uh, Ellie says, my blood is boiling because everything you're saying is true. I know several blokes who are doing exactly uh, what you'd suggested. Mental health problems. One is living in a social housing property paid for by the state. He claims disability. He has a new car every three years, etc. He's always in the pub or bar showing no sign of mental illness. And at the weekend, he is off to Thailand for one of his three holidays that he takes there. It sickens me. Well, I think this is the trouble. Every Everybody knows somebody who does that. And for no reason uh, should that mean that all people who are claiming in, uh, um, uh, incapacity benefit or disability benefit or whatever it is uh, are in fact swinging the lead. But many of them are. And I think that is the point. And all you have to do is have a government with half a brain who can actually work out which uh, is the wheat and which is the chaff and just split them apart and say, look, you're no longer getting benefits, uh, or even if you are, and if it's something that you can actually work through and improve yourself, then by all means do it. But what we can't have is millions and millions of people who say they're unable to work doing nothing. It doesn't work for the, for the community, doesn't work for the economy, doesn't work for taxpayers, doesn't work for the government, it doesn't actually work for the people who are not working either. But what we can say uh, is that at this time, today, uh, schools are open pretty much for the first time this week, pretty much for the first time, autumn term. Let's talk to one of our favourite head teachers at Sacred Heart School in London, Serge Cafe. Uh, Serge, very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. Morning. Good, good to see all the kids getting on the bus this morning. You know, I was expecting it all to happen on Monday, but it seems to be today that it's certainly around where I live. Uh, they're all they're all ready and eager and getting back to school because it's where they should be. Um, some of them yeah. won't be going back to school, unfortunately, because the schools might not be in good enough condition. Um, what do you make of this whole concrete shambles? I mean, what, what, what's it's, your it's, view of it? I, I try and watch you when I can, and I wish I had a fiver for every time you've used mention the word unbelievable you know <laughs> yeah. uh, incompetence is the term yeah on every level and i think uh this whole political class what whatever party you want to talk about they don't know how to get things done and a complete failure for our youth uh you know it's it's one thing to to what to, to for us adults to complain and worry but i think we're everyone's underestimating the impact we're having on kids and the way we're bringing them up it's a disgrace yeah it really is, because we're also hearing today that Chris Whitty's telling people that they should um, send their kids to school. Um, some people finding that a bit ironic, given what happened in the past, mm. but basically saying, uh, if kids are anxious, send them to school, uh, because keeping them at home will actually make it worse. I think he's right about that. And, yeah, and it's just... 100%. 100% right. And you used to word ironic. He didn't, wouldn't we follow the science and close all our schools for pretty much two years, yeah. when most sensible people were thinking, these kids are better off there. Yeah. They're safe, you know, and uh, I remember all the shenanigans, buying roadwork barriers, the bubbles, all the nonsense, fighting the unions to try and keep my school open and get as many kids in as possible because everybody knew that was the best place for them. Yeah. Now, I can think he was bullied by the politicians in order to sit next to them and back them up by closing the schools because yeah. he never came out and said this sort of stuff during the COVID start. You no, know, he, he kept no, he really quiet. Didn't. You know, he kept quiet. But if he's finally turned around, maybe he needs to apologise for misleading everybody by making sure schools were shut and the unions using the scientific element to keep them shut far longer than they needed to be. Uh, but uh, send kids to school yeah. every single day. And quite frankly, uh, I can't tell you how many times I've had this conversation with parents who, let's say it, have frankly lost control don't know how to be parents, really. They're not ones in charge. 
So I try to encourage parents, look, if, you, if they're ill, if they decide what anxious means, by the way, but if they are ill, you know what? Send your little darling, because you love them. We care about them, but we don't love them. And if they're really sick, you know what? We'll ring you up. Yeah. And then we can send them home. So it's so, so refreshing talking to you, Serge, because what you've said there will horrify the wokest. They'll go, well, oh, God, what yeah. do you mean you don't love them? You should love everyone, you know, because yeah. you're quite right. Of course you don't love other people's children. You shouldn't. And you're absolutely right to say that send them to school. But a letter published by the Department for Education, we're told this morning, actually acknowledges that the pandemic and the lockdown has left some families feeling less mm-hmm. confident with working out whether the kids should be well enough to go to school. Well, you know, the bottom line is I know you kept your school open and I know you did an awful lot that other others didn't do at the time. But also this is the season. I remember when I, my kids were younger. It's September. You know, Everybody gets sick. You send your kid to school. They come home with some horrific cold. You get it mm. as well. It's part of, you know, it's part of autumn. It's what happens. You know, if you don't send them to school, uh, you'll get it much later when nobody else has got it. But this is all linked to what you were talking about with your previous guest in terms of how wrong can we get it? You know, can we talk about resilience in our kids? We have abdicated our responsibilities, adults, bringing up children properly. You know, we want children when they fall over and they will get up, dust yourself down and get on with it. Instead, what are we finding? Every time something goes wrong, it's somebody else's fault. Somebody else is going to come and bail you out. Our welfare system is not fit for purpose anymore. It was always supposed to be a safety net, not a way of life, you know. And uh, I don't know. I use your word. Unbelievable. I don't know when it's going to stop. Can we trust these politicians to do? Absolutely not. But who do we vote for? Who do I vote for? I really haven't a clue anymore. But I feel so sorry for these kids because they're the ones that ultimately are going to have to face the reality of more difficult lives. Yeah. Well, we're now uh, sort of, you know, ruled over by a class of politician. And you'll like this one today. Uh, Not only have we got Gillian Keegan wanting people to say thank you to her and well done for doing such an effing great job. We've also got Nick Gibb apparently coming out, her her junior minister, saying that uh, their response to this concrete crisis is world class. (laughs) Uh, Well, I've met him a few times, I'm afraid. I I don't get on with him very well and he doesn't get on with me. Yeah, Uh, that's not surprising. The one thing about about, uh, Miss Keegan is that her her swearing, at least we now know who she is. Right. Didn't really know what she did before, you know, but uh, there's no credit here. The only thing they had, absolutely no choice. Can you imagine if a, if a roof had fallen down and killed or damaged a kid, you know, they would have been hamstrung. So this wasn't pre-planned. This was absolutely no choice. Finally, whoever these advisors are, and I've met a few of those as well, and I'm sure you have, <laughs> yeah. many more than me, you know, have finally turned around and said, you better make sure no one goes to school while there's even a small chance of a kid being hurt. Mm. You know, not, not their decision, no planning as usual. It seems to me no one talks about their job, but then we can have an Ofsted inspector, can't we, Michael, who's never taught. Yeah. Can you imagine that? I know. You know yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Again. It really is incredible, isn't it? What about the big news this uh, this week? I mean, you've got a new school year beginning. Uh, I mean, yeah. you, you're a man that can sense what sort of uh, the trends are. What are you seeing? Uh, are you seeing more kids turning up um, looking excitable? Are you seeing more kids turning up looking like they're not interested? What are you, what are you, what's the vibe, well, I suppose, is my question. The best part of being a head teacher, Michael, the best part of being a head teacher is I've got a school gate. Therefore, once the kids come through it, I can control quite a lot of what goes on. 
And yeah. I have to say, you know, both my schools, the kids are back. They're, they want to be back. They come to a good school where they feel safe. They're learning. They're moving forward. The parents are, by and large, on side. Things aren't as bad as everybody wants to make out. And uh, we've just got to try and make sure that we're a little bit, I don't know, what's the word? A little bit happier yes. about life. Well, I you say know, that a lot, actually. I know that misery all the time. No, I know that people will say, oh, you're always moaning. But actually, I talk about optimism a lot. And there's a lot to look yeah. forward to. There's always a lot to look forward to. And it's particularly with kids. Kids should be having fun in school as well yes. as learning. You know, I enjoyed going to school. Not, not every single second of it. It wasn't a walk in the park. <laughs> Sometimes it, was, it wasn't very good and not very nice. But by and large, kids need to be with each other. They need to be in an atmosphere uh, where they're looked after, as you say, and where they're encouraged to think, right? Yeah, and treated like children, yeah. God forbid. You know, yeah. has everyone forgotten about puberty and adolescence? And, you know, this whole trans conversation, which absolutely drives me mad. You know, I, I was brought up, I, I told countless teachers, if you know more about a child than a parent knows, there's something wrong. Yeah. Make sure you inform the parents about anything you're worried about their kids. And I've also told them, keep your private life Exactly that. Private. Don't bring your private life into school. Make sure you're very careful online and everything else. And this flies against what we seem to be trying to teach kids about what they should be worried about. We, has everyone forgotten what kids are like? They're going to jump on any bandwagon that suits them, especially if it means them doing less work. You know, and uh, it's fundamentally wrong. It's dangerous. But I hope that sometimes, you know, things are going to soon things are going to change. Maybe this Chris Whitty finally turning around and saying, get your kids into school, regardless of what you think might be going on. Just wait till you get a little bit of evidence before you put in, my child is anxious. And again, I repeat, I don't know what that means. You know, they want to miss maths, anxious about maths because they don't like it. But, you know, they won't go to school, but they'll be fine by 11 o'clock and then they'll run around the garden. We've all been there. You've got kids yourself, Mike. You know, so... Uh, unbelievable yeah. i don't know when it's going to stop but the sooner the better we get back to some sense of normality people will look at me and most probably you as an old dinosaur we're not with the times well i can tell you they're doing untold damage to our young yeah i mean you should be the secretary of state for education search you know that's what i think anyway but listen oh, have a great day have a great week and uh, and we'll talk to you again soon i'm sure serge cafe uh, head teacher at the sacred heart school in london brilliant head teacher uh, the sort of guy that you would want to entrust your children to through the course of a school year and in fact their school uh, education altogether because he speaks perfect sense and he doesn't mince his words we bring the kids into the school he says we look after them but we don't love them what a great statement that is this is talk tv see it hear it think it talk radio and talk tv Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV, the one place to be for the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. We've had uh, a ston stonkingly good first hour, I think you would say. Uh, amazing interview with Serge Cafe, uh, the head teacher of all head teachers. Lots of you appreciating what he had to say. Complete and utter common sense about the way that schools should be run, about the way that parents should parent and about the way that when the school gate closes, uh, your kids are in his care and he is going to be very, very good at looking after them, but he doesn't love them. And I think 
think that's absolutely right because you're the parent, you're the one that does the loving, you're the one that loves your children, uh, but you should be sending them to school and the school should be good enough to be trusted to look after them for the period of time that they're there. There's two schools that have closed in Wales apparently due to the concrete mess, the concrete crisis. Um, who knew that concrete was going to become the absolute watchword for the beginning of the school year uh, here at the end of 2023? Uh, but if your kids have gone back to school today, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to know what you think about the way the school curriculum is being set out. Gillian Keegan, uh, it turns out, is still uh, the Secretary of State for Education. Who knows whether she'll hang on uh, forever in that role. Uh, but they've got her on the uh, front page of the section of the Telegraph, which is called the Features section. Uh, in the, and they call you the woman that shut down Britain's schools, which is kind of harsh. I think it really is. Uh, we're going to move on, on though, in this uh, uh, hour because we thought we'd be discussing um, how the energy bill was voted upon last night in the House of Commons. But it turns out they didn't actually vote because there were too many amendments that went in, too many amendments that went through. Um, because quite a lot of people are concerned about the energy bill, what it's going to mean for the future. Uh, lots of comment about Rishi Sunak rolling back on his uh, principled uh, stand that was to kind of water down net zero slightly. Instead of that, he's gone back the other way and he's done a u-turn now uh, on onshore wind and he's now given permission to all of those places who were rejected for setting up onshore wind farms to have another go let's talk to rupert darwell now author of green tyranny he's got a big piece in the mail today uh, talking about how rishi sinek has been bullied into what he describes as a catastrophic u-turn on onshore wind rupert very good uh, morning to you welcome good morning mike thanks very much for joining us i mean we were warned that uh, that this energy bill might have a few sort of hidden things in it, a few trap doors here, there and everywhere. I was expecting a vote on it, I think, at some point last night, but it didn't quite get there. They've, they've decided to have another conversation about it. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. But there's a lot to, to kind of take in isn't there with this bill 
Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's amazing uh, that we're talking about fines and jail time if you don't um, comply with various net zero requirements. Mm. So it's, uh, and I think this is showing the reality of net zero. The problem with net zero, Mike, as you know, is that it's impossible to achieve. So what the government is doing in terms of prosecuting net zero is using more and more force. And so that far from being, you know, the great economic opportunity of the 21st century, it's actually a, a path to servitude. Yeah. But is this not as well the kind of the rehearsal of, of what we saw during lockdown where they start with the sort of nudge unit? They start saying, well, you should do this. You should do that. You know, you should probably get a heat pump. You should probably get an electric car. You should probably think about not eating meat. And then after a while they go, do you know what? There's not enough people doing what we want. So now we're going to start punishing them for not doing it. That is, Mike, you're absolutely right. Coercion is the name of the game here. And just as with uh, COVID and lockdown, the various re- regulations and, and so forth became that they, they will get abused. There will be overreach mm. and uh, local authorities and whoever will use these powers very, very aggressively. And it will be very nasty. Well, they love a they love a, a warden, don't they? The old local councils. The one thing that they say, whenever no matter how little money they've got, they can always find more money to hire more wardens. They've now got you know sort of recycling wardens in some places where if you recycle stuff the wrong way round, you somehow get a fine. It's unbelievable how much power these people have got. And we saw this this week: uh, Birmingham City Council basically going bankrupt, still spending bucket loads of money renaming streets, yeah. you know, to be more woke. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I, it is, it's not just ridiculous, Mike. It's going to get really, really, really painful yeah. as the aggression, as the aggression and the coercion ratchets up. Because as I, said, as I said, net zero is an impossible thing to achieve in a modern, uh, in a, for a modern society. Yeah. I mean, it, you just can't do it. Well, they can't even. I mean, I've said this to you before, Rupert. They can't even define it. You know, if I get any um, minister on here or any MP who supports net zero, if I say to them, what do you think it actually means? They can't tell you. Yeah, they just come out with this garbage about, oh, it's the economic opportunity, blah, yeah, blah, yeah. blah. It is complete, it is a complete and utter BS. Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, that even in the American um, the debates with the Republican Party, um, some people are now actually openly saying um, that the agenda for net zero, the agenda for climate change is a hoax. They're not saying climate change is a hoax because nobody's saying that with any great sense. But but the point about the, the agenda for change that the governments of the world are kind of trying to push on everybody are ridiculous. Yeah, it, the, the, this is ideologically driven. And in fact, the IPCC in its net zero, in its 1.5 special report, which set net zero off, said that net zero is presents the opportunity for societal transformation Mm. so there you have it that Mm. is ideology that is green ideology yeah and in scotland we've already seen um that the snp want to introduce this uh, problem for people who want to sell a home if it's not compliant with what they say is their net zero kind of emissions table so if you've got a gas boiler you might find it difficult to sell your house and they're trying to put that into the into the energy bill aren't they yeah, and it, and what you'll find you won't be able to get a mortgage if you don't have various uh, energy ratings, uh, if you don't have a heat pump and so forth. That's the way it'll do. It'll be it'll be a tightening a noose on on people's on people's freedom essentially, uh, Mike. I mean that's what it's a that that's what it'll come down to. Mm. That's why I say this is a path to servitude. Mm. And so why is Rishi Sunak 
suddenly changed his mind. I mean, I know that he's a politician and you know, this kind of thing happens on a regular basis. But, you know, there was a point at which when you thought, well, he's going to say, let's not get carried away with onshore wind farms. We've seen a load of uh, farm ap- wind farm applications rejected. They're now back on the table, aren't they? Yeah, it's th- this is because uh, policy, energy policy in this country has been completely captured by the wind wind lobby yeah. and by the by the environmentalists so there's this organization called the conservative environmental network it's supported by the european climate foundation which is bankrolled by um by one, one of the funders of extinction rebellion it's bankrolled by multi-billionaire multi-billion found dollar foundations uh, fr- from the united states and they ba- basically and and of course wind wind investors mm. and they have captured uh, policy in this country so that's essentially what's happened and so rishi sunak to his immense discredit um capitulated so are we now going to see um wind farms pro- popping up all over the country i think if if the wind lobby had had their way they would they would just cover the countryside in in wind farms i don't know the extent to which um the planning uh the the that the planning system will will continue to allow that. I mean, uh, clearly they're they're trying to m- make it much easier, and the extent to which they do that remains to be seen. But what it will mean is it's a it's a huge environmental uh, negative environmental impact, um, not just visually, but but in terms of wildlife, in terms of birds of prey, uh, bats that are bats have this horrible. There's this horrible effect the wind turbines have on on bats which the pressure waves lead their lungs explodes their lungs it's incredibly unpleasant and so that it's bad for wildlife in this country um and it's bad bad for us uh, electricity consumers it means higher higher electricity bills yeah and it's amazing isn't it that the environmental lobby don't seem to care about the damage to animals because under normal circumstances they're telling you not to eat them but it's all right for them to have wind farms that kill them yeah, well, so this is your this is the huge contradiction at the heart of the environmental movement, which is that they are promoting the industrialization of nature. Yeah. In order to save nature, pristine nature, nature, they are industrializing it by covering it in wind farms and 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 so, solar panels. It's like some kind of science fiction film when you take a step back from it and look at it, because again, there is no kind of logic to it and because the second question that i ask after they can't define what net zero is is well what happens if we do attain net zero what will happen then how will my life be better how will the world be a better place they can't answer that question either yeah your life i could i could answer that question your life is going to be a lot worse and the opportunities your children will have compared to the 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 ones that you have will be immensely more more constrained Mm. so that their lives are going to be but the one thing that won't won't change is the climate won't change because basically uh, China, India, the global south is going to carbonise. And what we in Britain do with accounting for less than 1% of global emissions makes no difference whatsoever. So it's all pain for no climate gain. Yeah. Well, a bit like my favourite story yesterday, which was that uh, the Glasgow ULES zone has been measured for air pollution since the zone was put in from June to August of this year, comparable to last year, June to August, pollution's actually got worse. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. It's 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 just that the Ulez stuff is there. There 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 is a hidden agenda. We yeah. saw that Sadiq Khan actually scrubbed from the London website the the, the hit plans. I think it's 2018. Not just low ultra low emissions, but zero emissions. So this was so even if you've got a car that complies with Ulez in three years time, four years time, you'd find that you'd, you you find that you were you were paying the. A ZEZ, a Z, a Z charge, um, and it's about it's about basically get getting cars off the roads, yeah. whether they're, you know, however low emission they are. Right, it's mad. Also, in your piece, you write about why um, onshore wind is now the thing when it used to be that offshore wind was what everybody wanted, and the Germans and the Scandinavians, you say, uh, have found out that that's definitely not the answer because of how expensive it is. Yeah, I mean, the the, the, the government has been basically so been selling a crock of whatever uh, <laughs> saying that saying that offshore wind is the cheapest way of producing generating electricity and they were saying about 40 40 pounds per megawatt hour when in fact the real numbers well over 100 pounds per megawatt hour you are you're putting very you're putting highly engineered bits of kit quite fragile bits of kit into a very hostile marine environment and that they don't work properly, that the, the, they break more often, they're, they're incredibly expensive to maintain. So basically, the government's strategy of offshore wind is is over. I mean, it's basically been exposed for what it is. A total, it's been, it, it's a terrible, huge, huge policy. It's about, it's like reinforced, the reinforced concrete scandal. You know, it's the same misallocation and mismanagement. Yeah, it really is incredible to watch. Rupert, thank you very much indeed. Rupert Darbol, author of Green Tyranny there, also senior fellow at the Real Clear Foundation. He's right, of course. You know, this whole net zero mania, uh, which Rishi Sunak appears to have now reversed his view on, uh, because back in uh, uh, October of last year, he promised that he wouldn't do it. Uh, he's now gone back on that promise, and he's now decided that onshore wind is indeed the future. And so look out for a wind turbine being put up anywhere near you at any given point. Let us know what you're seeing, what you're hearing. 0344 499 1000. Matthew says this, Mike, if you're on universal credit, you can work 20 hours a week and still claim all your benefits. What's the problem? Well, you may well ask. So why are people not doing it then? Some people will be, but why is everybody not doing it? We'll take your calls. Coming next on Talk TV. See it, hear it, think it. Talk radio and talk TV. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Ian Collins coming up at one o'clock, of course, uh, followed by uh, a whole host of great shows coming up this afternoon uh, and this evening right here on Talk TV. Uh, we'll bring you more details, of course. Kevin O'Sullivan at three. Uh, we've got Nicola Thorpe and David Bull at five. In for Vanessa Feltz. We've got Jeremy Kyle at seven. We've got Piers Morgan at eight. We've got The Talk at nine. First edition at ten. It's all going on. Uh, right now, though, we've got Annabelle Denham, Deputy Comment Editor from The Telegraph. Um, we've been talking this morning morning, Annabelle. Very good morning. Very good afternoon to you, I should say, um, about a whole bunch of stuff, including um, a change in the welfare uh, sickness benefits scenario, uh, a, a change for uh, for the government to say to people who feel anxious that perhaps they might be able to find something that they can do. The Telegraph, your paper saying whatever they do, it's going to be delayed till 2025. We'll get to that. Let's kick things off, though, with schools, shall we? Because the school day school year really for everybody started pretty much this week one day or another most of the schools I've seen in London started today um, we've got a problem though uh, with 147 schools in total uh, under the under the sort of cloud of the concrete crisis 19 have had their start of term delayed we've also got uh, Chris Whitty rather strangely and ironically calling for parents to send their kids to school even if they're sick 
Yes, uh, that's right. And what, what you know, what an intervention really from the chief medical officer, given his role and involvement in during the coronavirus pandemic. Yeah decisions that led to much of the country being locked down and particularly the closure of schools for in my view far too long and with you know terrible alacrity really from our politicians but no this is uh, Chris Whitty saying that children with mild and moderate anxiety are likely to be better off attending school because uh, long periods of absence could make their symptoms worse now I think you know there's a very widespread concern now that post-pandemic school attendance is far too low. Uh, more than a fifth of pupils in England um, were persistently absent from school in 2022 to 2023, um, up from 10.9% in 2018-19 before the pandemic. Um, and there are all sorts of reasons for this. There's understandable fears that there is a cohort of ghost children that may never fully return to uh, school. Um, and of course, the, so many people Pupils have had uh, long stretches of very disrupted learning. They've been isolated from their friends. They've had Zoom uh, online learning. Um, and as if that wasn't bad enough during COVID, of course, we had a spate of teacher strikes. And you know, it's almost no wonder that parents are wondering whether the, their children need to go into school because the attitude from the government and some of the teaching unions appears to be that it isn't really that important. Mm. Well, of course it is. And, you know, children made a terrible sacrifice during the pandemic and there doesn't seem to be any appetite for making it up to them. No, quite. And the Department for Education have actually issued a statement today which says that, um, you know, notwithstanding what Chris Whitty's advice is, um, it's very clear that some parents think they shouldn't send their kids to school if they've got something, you know, like a sniffly cold or a runny nose, because that's the way they've been kind of trained. That's the way they've been um, uh, nudged, if you want, or or possibly even just, um, you know, persuaded to believe that, you know, oh, um, we mustn't let disease spread in school. I mean, the whole point about school is that disease spreads. You know, I was saying to somebody earlier today on the show, when my kids were uh, young, as, as yours, I think, are now, you know, you were constantly running with a cold. You constantly had some kind of runny nose because they came back from school with all sorts of hideous, uh, dreadful, ghastly germs. And you just sort of always hoped that it wasn't going to be norovirus. No, exactly. I think that's just part of life for pupils and for parents of school age children, yeah. especially after the summer break. The children are going back into a classroom, into a confined environment where they're going to be spreading various germs that were contracted over the summer. And what we can't have are parents becoming complete hygiene obsessive germaphobes. But unfortunately, like you say, Mike, they've almost been trained into that. There's a concern now, you know, if your child is ill, perhaps they have got COVID sure free testing ended months and months ago but i think there's still that hangover what if it mm. what if it's it is the coronavirus do we really want to be sending them into the school where they could spread it and you know compounding this of course is not just fears for that your children's health but also now fears for their safety with this rack chaos mm. um thousands of pupils who are not attending school, many pupils who are going to be educated in porter cabins or be sent to neighbouring schools. You know, this is a, a massive issue, even if at the moment it's only affecting a small number of, uh, you know, our 22 and a half thousand schools up and down the country.
Yeah, exactly right. Because, you know, what I'd like to see from either the schools or from the Department of Education is a statement about the situation regarding COVID because more and more people um, in just anecdotally around me uh, are saying they've tested positive for COVID. It's obviously doing the rounds again uh, as it has done and as for no reason anyone should be alarmed about. Um, but I would like a statement absolutely full and, and frank and, and absolutely certain that the schools will not shut again if, for example, um, start, more people start getting COVID because it didn't make any difference really last time to the spread of it. And I don't think anybody in their right mind would say, oh, because we shut the schools, nobody got COVID. Absolute rubbish. So, you know, I'd like to see them actually coming out with a statement that says if there is another, you know, incidents that we consider to be what you might call an outbreak of COVID, we won't suddenly go into panic mode and shut everything. No, and I think to be fair to the government, they showed commendable strength in the face of serious opposition by remaining open when the Omicron variant came onto our shores and started spreading in December 2021. And it's yeah. exactly that attitude that needs to be retained. School closures in particular should be an absolute last resort measure that the, the government should be looking at. And, you know, it, lockdowns themselves, you know, really ought to be a last resort as well, not the first lever that politicians will now pull because it's been normalised, because actually the government, the public proved itself to be extremely compliant during the pandemic. Mm. It was extraordinary, really, that people did not protest against these massive infringements on their civil liberties. And the concern, of course, is that that will endure if, you know, if the government does decide to try and shut us in our homes, mm. keep out of the classroom again in the future people will reflect on 2020 2021 and think well we did it then we can do it again now if it's in regarded to be in the national interest and there is still a very vocal but small minority who are zero covid fanatics who are still very worried about the spread mm. of this particular virus and who will lobby the government to take extreme measures and we have to revert to a position like the one we had in 2019 and before where life, I'm afraid, is full of risks and bad things will yeah. often happen to good people. But we have to be free to make trade-offs. We have to be free to take on personal responsibility and have our own autonomy to be presented with information and make our own judgments accordingly. Yeah. Absolutely right. Because at the end of the day, um, that decision that was taken in 2021 was taken pretty much single-handedly by Boris Johnson, who just said, I'm not having it. Because I'm pretty sure at the time that Chris Whitty and others were telling him that he should do another lockdown. And in the same way uh, that you say there are still voices that will make those noises. Yes, they are. And they're all coming from the same place. It's all independent sage and sage and all these people at Imperial College and all the usual suspects who think that, you know, if you put a mask on, suddenly everything's different. Well, it isn't, is it? No, of course not. I mean, masks, there's various studies about their efficacy. There's an argument to be made that the fact that people were wearing masks made other people feel reassured and therefore they wouldn't adhere to the two metre mm. uh, and keep their distance from others that you know others uh, studies that suggested they indicated that the pandemic was still with us and therefore led to people being more cautious but i think the jury is still very much out on the efficacy of uh, face coverings of course you know who did not help um, by adding to the confusion initially saying that it was useless mm. and then uh, saying that they support <laughs> the use of face masks and uh, that they would help slow the spread yeah. And governments adopting them uh, accordingly. So, you know, I, I think we're a very long way, Mike, or at least I hope we are, from reverting to the kinds of draconian measures that we saw in 2020. Yeah. 
2021 to deal with COVID. But um, I think, you know, two serious issues that we're facing now is gem you know, general attitude that lockdown is an acceptable um, thing for a government to bring in um, in the event of uh, some kind of spread of, of a disease or so, you know, so on and, and, and so forth. And also, you know, this ongoing effect that it has had on children's learning. And, you know, I don't know what the government is doing to catch up, uh, help pupils catch up. I'm, I haven't heard anything. I don't know if you have, Mike, since Kevin Collins resigned as the catch-up czar back in 2021. Right. He did so because he felt that the government wasn't uh, willing to pay enough money to help pupils make up for all of that lost learning. It just all seems to have been forgotten and we have to stop letting young people down in this yes. way. No, we've had the knock-on effect, haven't we, of people going to university last year with a set of results which were literally made up out of thin air, uh, many of whom are now struggling because they're not really qualified, they haven't done the work at A-level that they should have done in order to do the course that they're now doing at university. So there's a massive dropout rate, apparently, for one thing. And then secondly, on the, the lower end of the scheme, uh, people who took their A-levels and took GCSEs this year found that they were marked down uh, because last year's results were so ludicrously inflated. You know, and in fact, my own son's uh, projections for his GCSE results uh, were quite low and he did an awful lot better. And he said to me, well, if this had been last year, I would have got really, really, uh, you know, very ordinary results when in fact his actual results were a lot better. So the whole system was broken. It is. And there's, of course, the third problem, which is that the devolved nations haven't tried to correct the grade inflation in the way that England has. So what we saw were pupils in England getting lower marks than those in Northern Ireland yeah. or Scotland or Wales. And, you know, whichever way you look at it, the whole thing seems terribly unfair. You know, perhaps they ought to have just continued with a normal A-level and GCSE assessments during the pandemic, if there had been a way for the government to roll that out and to ensure that it was maintained. Um, I think ultimately they were right to bring back down um, A-level grades. We cannot have a situation where they are just continually inflated and inflated and inflated until getting an A-star is actually meaningless and they have mm. to bring in a star star or a triple star. Mm. You know, how far... Um, do you go with this? Like you say, it has led to some students arriving at university with inflated grades that indicated that perhaps they were more knowledgeable, more competent, um, brighter than than in fact they are. And they've been really struggling mm. at university and they've had to, you know, some of them have had to drop out. So it's not really fair whichever way you look at it. One thing I would add is that, you know, in 2010, the Conservative government was actually really committed to stopping grade inflation at schools. And um, it did bring down the number of pupils who were getting A's at A level um, quite considerably. Mm. But clearly, you know, more work needs to be done. And, you know, I just, you know, spare a thought for you know, those pupils who did their A-levels perhaps during the pandemic, then went in straight into university in 2020, who, you know, have had the most grim university experience. When you come into university as a fresher, it's all about socialising, it's about making new friends, it's about being independent from your parents, perhaps for the very first time. And a lot of students were forced to stay home, or if they were in mm. halls, they were shuttered in there, and um, they didn't have, uh, you know, proper lectures, tutorials, so on and so forth it was a lot there was a lot of online learning then the government tried to suggest that they shouldn't they couldn't go home for christmas if you remember and the idea that they would just sit at, you know perhaps alone in their halls in order that they wouldn't bring the virus back from university to their hometowns mm. um 
And it's, you know, it never really recovered from that point. And that, that same cohort are coming into the workplace at a time where, you know, real wages have been stagnant for years. Um, they, you know, may, they may not even have a proper uh, degree certificate. They were, may not have been graded at university because of the marking boycott. Um, and there must be such a profound sense of hopelessness among those people. It's awful. Yeah, absolutely right. Stay with us, Annabelle, if you would. We've got plenty to talk about still. Birmingham Council uh, and the fact that they might now want to put up their council tax bills because of their impending bankruptcy and also a million on sickness benefits having to find a job what are we going to have them do this is talk tv on the app on your mobile talk radio and talk tv welcome back to the independent republican mike graham right here on talk tv um annabelle i thought of you yesterday not particularly because of the birmingham any birmingham connection but i thought to myself this is one of those stories birmingham council announcing that it's pretty much close to bankruptcy i imagine that this will be the tip of the iceberg and i've already been told that that there might be problems in other parts of the country i don't want to mention them in case it suddenly pushes them over the edge economically but certainly there are many councils which are precariously balanced shall we say in terms of their cash um, flow in terms of the uh, reserves that they might have in a bank in terms of the output and the outlay of money that they have to make and particularly in Birmingham's case this this sort of equal pay um, uh, consultation that they've taken so many years to sort out. Yeah, I mean, this is a problem that's facing, uh, you know, more uh, councils than many people realise. Councils uh, going bust, requiring a bailout, perhaps from central government. I think this happened to Croydon on a number of occasions. Um, and, you know, in some ways, you know, have some sympathy for these councils, which have seen a real terms cut to central government grant funding um, over the last few years. Um, and at the same time, the pressures on them, if anything, have intensified. Mm. So adult and child social care, for instance. Um, so we are making these demands on councils and perhaps they're being inadequately funded. But that in some ways is a reflection of the way that the government has tried to approach devolution, mm. where you don't have representation and full taxation, where they don't have proper tax uh, raising you know, revenue uh, powers. Um, and instead, um, you know, forced often to perhaps go to Whitehall with a begging bowl to blame Whitehall for their own mismanagement. So it's clearly a problem that needs um, addressing. When it comes to Birmingham City Council, you know, sympathy rather evaporates. I mean, this the city's been plagued by right. financial mismanagement for and years. And that is part of the problem as well, isn't it? Because the more that you try uh, to actually get these councils to be open about what they've got in their coffers and where they are uh, in terms of what money uh, they're spending on anything, it's very, very very difficult to find. I think that's right. I mean, you know, there's a pattern certainly of financial mismanagement, and it seems like central government, perhaps, and certainly constituents, are in the dark until it all goes terribly wrong, and then we have these big stories breaking, like with Birmingham. But you know, it wasted a lot of money, millions, on a delayed IT upgrade, um, and of course, like you say, Mike, it's been battling these equal pay claims among its staff, um, and this is the the fact that female staff were doing seemingly um, similar work, equal work, 
to male staff, um, but they were being paid less. They weren't getting the same bonuses as the male staff. Now, I actually take issue with that concept to begin with. I'm very nervous about the idea of pay equity and equal pay for equal work, because who decides what is equal work? To me, somebody who's a cleaner is doing a different job mm. to somebody who is a janitor, and that ought to be reflected yeah. in their pay or perhaps you know how competitive it is. Maybe more people want to be cleaners than they do janitors. Maybe the hours are less sociable and so on and so forth. But nonetheless, this is an EU derived law. Um, not It's not part of the UK's um, Equal Pay Act of 1970. And, it, you know, it's one that has caused massive headaches for mm. city council, just as it did for Asda and Tesco, yes. um, where supermarket worker, workers took the supermarkets to um, to court. Um, but, you know, I, I think that's one issue. Another is that you know, devolution has not been um, a success. If anything, it's been a disaster. I think that you, these devolved areas, devolved nations have become laboratories for some pretty terrible ideas. Look at great for management of Wales, the fact that he's introduced things like 20 mile an hour speed limits, the fact that he's made it a much less attractive place, in my view, at least mm. for people to visit. Only yesterday, um, Humza Yousaf um, set out his programme for government, which included um, a pilot of a four day week yeah. among the Scottish civil service um and you know he's saying that he hopes that it, uh, the private sector will take inspiration from this and follow suit where well, i think that's extremely uh, optimistic so much as to be yeah. complete fantasy um and i imagine that scottish taxpayers who if they're only earning over twenty eight thousand pounds a year are paying more in income tax than they would south of the border will take exception to the idea that those taxes are funding uh, you know civil servants who are now going to be kicking up their heels on friday but this is the situation that we en end up in and like i say when it all goes horribly wrong these devolved areas are able to just blame westminster and say that it's the result of central government not giving it uh, adequate resources and so there's no real accountability they don't really take responsibility and something has to be done exactly right and we then turn to the department for work and pensions who were talking about having to save you know tens of billions of pounds over the course of the next few years because the welfare budget is out of control because nobody's really been responsible for that either and nobody's really actually said precisely what they're trying to achieve and what they've worked out uh, is that there are far too many people now who are off sick and they want to try and get them back to work, even if it means getting them a job where they work from home. There are so many people in Britain today who are on out-of-work benefits, around five and a half million. You you cannot really wrap your head around the number. It's almost as many uh, people as are employed uh, in the public sector. Um, and this is happening at a time where we've had acute worker shortages for a long time. Um, the number of vacancies was well over a million and yet you had people languishing on benefits at home but no that what the government um, set out last week was that it wanted to address uh, the sort of requirements for um, people to receive uh, incapacity benefits to try and tighten the rules um, because ministers believed that 
um, the total number could be cut by hundreds of thousands um, if those excused work because of mobility or anxiety problems were told to look told to look for an employment and this was absolutely welcome i think we need more people working in the department for pen, uh, work and pensions who are doing things like fitness to work assessments to really ensure that the support is targeted to those who most need it and that those who might be able to work or might be able to work part-time um, are able to do so and encouraged to do so um, however it sounds now like the can has been kicked down the road as is so in becoming so familiar to 2025 and it isn't really clear what is behind this delay i mean if the government is looking to uh, do some kind of consultation if it's looking to consult lobby groups then we'll never see this happen yeah. and given that the polls are strongly indicating that we'll have a labor government uh, from 2024 or 2025 I, I you know i'd be amazed if this sees light of day yeah well i think you're probably right i don't think anything's going to see the light of day outside of rishi sunak just looking out the window uh, annabelle good to talk to you thank Thank you very much indeed. Annabel Denham, their deputy comment editor at The Telegraph. Uh, coming up, of course, Peter Cardwell will be here. Prime Minister's questions, the first one of the new season, uh, is still going on. Uh, but Peter will tell us what the highlights are. Mark from Sunbury says this. Mike, I smell a rat with the timing of the bad cement in government buildings being raised is so important at this time. It gives great power again to the education system that is polluted with hard left ideology. OK, it's an issue with cement quality, but closing down the schools, is this another attempt to damage the country by the hard left? I don't think it is. I think it is oh, a pretty good um, example, a pretty good illustration of how useless uh, successive governments have been at planning, because that's the one thing they don't seem to know how to do. Plan for things. Make sure that you're covered if something goes wrong, in the same way that all commercial institutions have to do. Not the government, though, because they never seem to see anything coming. Coming up, uh, we've got the world of woke. This is Talk TV. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.